right, riddle me this, Kev. What's one of the first upgrades you should do to your vehicle? What is it? What do you go for? Well, you might think power, but ultimately, from a smart and safe perspective, definitely the brakes. Yeah, no doubt. Upgraded braking systems can really transform a vehicle's performance and honestly give you better peace of mind behind the wheel in any situation. You know, from the track to off-road trails, even the morning commute, every single vehicle deserves performance brakes at an affordable price. And no matter what your vehicle or driving style, PowerStop has complete brake upgrade kits for you. So head to PowerStop.com, fill in your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder to be matched with complete kits and components that are low-dust, noise-free, and feature upgraded stopping power. That's right. You could join the thousands of other drivers that have already transformed their vehicle into a stopping powerhouse today with PowerStop. PowerStop.com, brake upgrades made easy. Welcome to Two Guys Garage Podcast, a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Productions. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And ooh, some guests make us all giddy. And this, this, my friends, is one of them. We're talking to a legend today. Imagine that, man. This guy holds 11 patents, hundreds of copyrights, received so many industry you know, just um, awards and accolades and all that stuff. His He has changed the world of hot rodding, and he's on our podcast. And that, my friends, is pretty damn cool. Yeah, this guy has like over 50 years of influence. He's moved mountains. And as Willie said, he's changed how we've like attacked performance, hot rodding, and everything else. He doesn't even need an introduction because everyone knows who this guy is. Uh, and this list is so incredibly long. I can't wait to dive in with him. And I've caught him, you know, face to face multiple times at SEMA and some other events. And it's always awesome and mind blowing because uh, the guy is so incredibly smart and detailed and layered. And he's so full of data and information uh, that you can't you can't leave the conversation without like brain oozing out of your ears. No, you know, like -uh. so plan on you know <laughs> putting some tape on. I got tape on my ears to keep all the the jelly inside. Hey, take some notes, man. You're gonna need it, man. It is one of those um one of those guys, you know, and we'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. It's it's Gail Banks. Gail Banks. Yeah, man. And when you think in and hear that name, you know, you gotta appreciate what he's done to change the world of hot rodding. And he literally has changed the world when you think about everything he's accomplished and just what he has brought to the racing industry, to the the not just the diesel industry, which he's changed that by a paramount moves, but what he's done for hot rodding in general. It's really, it is amazing, man. He reminds me of my papa. See, I never saw him in person, uh, but only standing in a crowd around him. Uh, I have seen a bunch of his videos. Like, if you don't follow this guy on some of the videos he makes on YouTube, um, my papa had no filter, and, and Gail's a little bit like that, man. It's awesome. He'll just tell you how it is. If you want a good crack up, watch the dino. Watch where he's watching the hooligans dino. Yeah, run. man, that's a just, great one. He tears these guys apart, and they're his buddies, but he is just knocking them down, bro. It's like a bowler rolling strikes. It's just one right after another. So, yeah, man, he's got attitude. He's a force to be reckoned with. And we had the day on our uh, on our podcast. Bird, what's, what's the first thing you want to ask him about? Oh, man. Well, there's so many diesel questions, but, you know, even talking to him a little bit before we're jumping on here, uh, you know, Gail isn't 
a diesel guy. He is so huge and he's influenced so much and he's moved the needle more than probably anyone on the face of this earth. But he's just a guy who loves combustion engines, tons of boost and turbos. And I love his comment that uh, his axe is the turbo. He's ready to just go chop down anything and everything in his way with some big boost, whether it's gas, whether it's jet fuel, whether it's diesel fuel. Um, so, man, I, I don't know, man. My mind is popping all over the place, but I do have a lot of diesel questions because I'm a little bit more familiar with the gas side. Uh, you know, having yeah. been on the designs, you know, at Ford with, you know, the 6.7 diesel that's out in the Super Duty, uh, but all on the mechanical side and then kind of a step back from the combustion side. So... Man, I, I'm ready to go on that line. How about you? You got specific questions, uh, you know, about what his passion and where his passion lies. I've got questions about his his era because he's seen it all. Yeah, right. He sold his first engine in 1958 as a 16 year old. He's seen the 50s, the 60s, which most people, you know, my age look at the 60s and go, that was the era of the greatest hot rods ever built. And here's a guy that lived it, built engines, figured out how to make them stronger. He lived through the 70s and all the missions, the 80s and all the garbage people were putting out then. And the fact that he couldn't even sell a diesel, like a turbo for a diesel, he could not sell at SEMA in the 80s. And boom, look what he's done to the industry now. It's amazing. I can't wait. I just want to know what era he would like to live in forever what you know what <laughs> yeah. era he would like to go back if he had a time machine and and take 10 years and relive what era would that be because he's he's seen it all and he's been there hands and elbows deep in it well from that perspective then right where are we headed right he's got enough tick points on the graph to go well guys we're headed in this trajectory you know so here's where i think we're going to end up here in the next decade or two or three so Right, right. Well, look, let's take a break, man. Enough with me and Bird. Let's get to the man, Gail Banks. Give us a couple minutes. We'll be right back on the Two Guys Garage podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. It's the Two Guys Garage podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we have Gail Banks, the man, the myth, the legend. He is, I'm telling you, he is the guy that's had over half a century improving the internal combustion engine technology everything applied to it everything around it how to get air through it in it on it uh and out of it this guy is done man it's amazing so gail welcome to the podcast and thanks so much for your time thank you this is going to be fun yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it yeah. is man and hey uh kevin so how did you guys first meet up hook up start talking uh what, what was the connection there I want to think it was uh, around the time that uh, the six seven from Ford was coming out. So yeah, uh, let's see. I think around twenty ten or eleven, might have started cranking away on that. No, when did that one come out? Eleven, right? Yeah, the six seven. Yeah, yeah. So before that, maybe two thousand nine ten, we were cranking away in the background at Ford. Patrick, Patrick was running that program. Yeah. Yep. So Pat was kind of running yeah. the bottom end. Um, God. Drawing a blank on who was running the upper end at the time. Dennis uh, Aussie. I think his name was Dennis. Yeah, so we went through, you know, some phases, not to get too detailed on, uh, you know, top secret stuff, but, uh, you know, from our sort of advanced research team, uh, we did the first sort of Skunk Works build, and then we started to do what looks like the final. So we probably nailed down 90% of all the architecture that you know today. Uh, and then kind of handed that off to our more production team to dot all the I's, cross all the T's, yeah. work out all the fine details and bugs. And I think those are the, a lot of the folks that you started to work with. 
uh, after I kind of stayed back in the uh, R&D standpoint to, you know, pick up the next torch and light it up and get it rolling. Yeah, Patrick had invited me by. Uh, he had a remote location uh, where they were benchmarking the competition. They had your six sevens running, torn down for inspection, what have you. That was a huge compliment to me. He just won my two cents worth. Well, hey, n- there's never been a Gail Banks two cents that wasn't worth 2000 That's for damn sure. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> that right now. Uh, <laughs> that's right. You, gotta, you always throw a couple extra zeros on whatever yeah, you're – Yeah, we're talking kind of – we're talking inside Ford right now. Maybe I'll well, back off I got, here. <laughs> I, got a, I got a question, Gail. As I read up on just all things that you've had your hands in and – you know, I see little excerpts and, you know, how you were engineering a building uh, and supplying engines for, you know, defense contractors and directly to the military. And you did so for, you know, 35 plus years. And I hear you working with Ford and all these other. How many things have you had your hands in that you're not allowed to talk about, discuss or reveal? Like <laughs> there's so many that you can but a lot you can't. We started selling engines to the Navy in 1976. That was our first military involvement. And um, those weren't diesels, twin turbo, big block Chevys, intercooled with uh, seawater. And we've done done some diesel engine design. We got a a military contract to um, do a Marine version of the Cummins inline six that we ran at Bonneville, get the world's fastest pickup truck a record we held with GMC with a Cyclone program 10 years prior. I think our best one-way was 210 uh, with a little V6, uh, not turbocharged, but I did intercool, so to speak. I charge air-cooled the 110-degree air at Bonneville at that event, and we managed to run 210 with a 300-inch V6. Uh, that's amazing. I love Bonneville, man. I've cut my teeth on the salt there several times, and uh, I love it. It's one of the true hot rod places. Uh, if nobody's ever been, I, I think I bet Gail will tell you, at some point in your life, if you're a fan of hot rodding and all it brings to the table, you have to. It's a must. It's a bucket list uh, to get to Bonneville. We have, yeah, and I, I've been going uh, since 1960. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. In fact, my partner's car, uh, I, th- there's a Banks exhibit at the NHRA Museum, and my partner Studebaker is there. And we did a retro engine uh, with a blower. It's got eaten guts in it, but it looks like a 671. Yeah, 770 horse, 258 incher. Uh, nice little setup. So that 53 Studebaker is there. And I ran, I, I had three of them. A street one and two race ones. That was the street car to run at Bonneville until they came out with the 82 Firebird. And then uh, Bob Dorn, who was chief engineer, and John Chanella, who was chief stylist at Pontiac, uh, approached me to run their new Firebird at Bonneville. And that replaced the Studebaker big time because we ultimately went 277. you know, using boat technology that we ran in the 70s in circle boats, um, we ran big block twin turbo injected alcohol, 2,200 horsepower engines and 18 foot circle boats. Um, <laughs> what a ride. Yeah. And that stuff, <laughs> that stuff found its way into 
I used two turbos they were using on Offenhauser engines at Indy at the time. They were good for 1,100 horsepower each on alcohol. So I had 2,200 horsepower, uh, 430-inch big blocks. I ran the shorter stroke. I didn't run the longer stroke, 454 thing. And um, we progressed it back into automobiles. I'm, I did a lot of boat motors, probably 30 years, 35 years of it. Even sold five di di different makes of boats, rigged boats, all in my uh, engine shop, uh, speed shop in San Gabriel. So we took that marine technology and we put it in the Sundowner Corvette around 1979, 80. And on a 201 record uh, with a supercharger, we ran 240. So that we upped that record 39 miles an hour with a marine turbo setup, liquid intercooler, uh, running ice water through it. Wow. Imagine all those guys out of Bonneville, because I, I know the attitude they have. Some guy shows up, puts 39 miles per hour on your record, and does so. I had some spare boat parts in the shop, man. I just threw it together, nothing big, and drops 39 on your record. This guy knows no boundaries. <laughs> what I did was I took that, that alcohol circle boat setup, ran it on gasoline, put hot headers on it, you know, instead of the marine setup. The underlying theme for my whole career is the turbocharger. <laughs> yeah. I saw the first one in 1957 at Blackie's Surplus over on Alameda. Uh, they, they had some P38 engines and there were turbos with them. And I just looked at that thing. It was General Electric, as I recall, made the turbocharger. And I went, whoa, what, what, what the hell have we got here? Uh, you know, I always, I, I, I've, always been, I've always been interested in Pike's Peak. And I st started studying on the turbocharger. General Electric proved that turbo, dynoed it at 14,110 feet of altitude. <laughs> You know, we're still doing that today, you know? The whole thing with Pikes Peak, and we've run a couple efforts there. I ran two years with Dahlenbach in an unlimited open-wheel car. Uh, had, the, had the fastest car there in qualifying two years in a row. First year on the launch, he went to 10 tenths and twisted off a half shaft right off the starting line. Yeah. Second year, we qualified quickest and uh oh the first straightaway he went off into the trees so didn't work out very well then we did the size matters diesel semi with a super huge ass whipple supercharger on it this was a uh, detroit 60 series uh huge ass whipple blowing a monstrous kong we called the turbocharger and uh, lots of intercooling, a lot of water meth. We even used a water meth system with just water to cool the brakes. You wouldn't think you'd need to cool the brakes going uphill. But at Pikes Peak, you, you come hot into the turns if you got any power at all. We turbocharged Dahlenbach's car pr prior. It was naturally aspirated, injected. We didn't run out of Paul Dahlenbach, but we kind of ran out of car, you know, that, that happens when you turbo even a road race car, anything. 
An old guy one day, K.S. Pittman, he was screwing around with turbos and gassers, you know, drag racing. He says, Gail, do you realize you can't go to, and he'd look from side to side like it was a secret. You can't go to sleep at night and dream the power you can make with turbocharging. And I told him, yes, I can. <laughs> Son, you back talking me? <laughs> well, this guy figured this out 50 plus years ago. And, you know, we're still kind of in this last just decade of where everybody's waking up. You know, Gail saw the future with turbos so long ago. And it wasn't until all these, you know, EcoBoost and the OEs coming out. And yeah, we've known about turbos, but, you know, the aftermarket's coming around, the OEs coming around, the whole world is giving the turbo a big hug. And Gail's just kind of sitting back there going, it's about damn time. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is. What's next, you know? Well, speaking of, uh, speaking of boost, uh, I was catching one of your videos recently, and you had a 7-liter Duramax, I think it was, with a twin turbo and a supercharger. Yeah. Uh, the last I saw, I think you guys had just fired it up, and I forget how much power it made, but uh, clearly the thing was just warming up. So have you gotten farther with that one? Uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Or, or is there a bigger, badder version somewhere that we don't know about yet? Like, what is the, the most nasty project you've done the, the blower we ran on the detroit size matters was the name of that truck and there's a size matters 2 video that we shot it's on youtube that we shot down at the uh matson docks down in san pedro you guys got to see that video uh it's a drift car against a drift semi it is something to see uh, I th the car is like a Datsun 240 with a LS in it, you know, and the truck gives them hell. Uh, basically, it's a five liter Whipple, a big mother. And then the father of all intercoolers, it's a five inch thick core. I mean, it, the, the thing allows me to build air density like nothing you can believe. The first hit we get at the air is two turbos, two precision turbos. Yeah, so you're two staging. Yeah, you're staging, and then yeah. <laughs> you're intercooling between the stages, right? Most guys don't, but we are. You know, that's, I don't want to kill the Whipple with heat. Uh, in both cases, I have a limit, uh, temp limit, at the discharge of the turbos of 410, and the same temp limit at the discharge of the blower. The trick is to maximize the air density uh, through the turbos by matching them properly through the intercooler into the blower. Uh, so we've got virtually ambient air temperature entering the blower and ambient air temperature in the intake manifold after the final intercooler. So the density ratio across that forced air system is equal to the pressure ratio. So pressure ratio doesn't mean <laughs> what means something is the air density, how many pounds per thousand cubic feet, because you're processing cubic feet with the engine. So how much air mass can I put into each cubic foot? And then how much fuel mass can I mix with that? Uh, that's the 
secret here. Yeah, so so for most people that know a little bit about boosting, right, you put on a big blower, you put on a big set of turbos or whatever, and you wick it up as, as much as you can go. And then you think, well, I'm going to add a bigger turbo, I'm going to add a bigger blower. Or or more pulley. The most common thing is speed it, right. speed it up. Right, but at some point you want, you want more, right? So then you got to ask yourself, do I want to keep speeding the thing up or I'm out of speed? Do I want to keep putting on a bigger turbo Now I've got more lag or whatever else comes negative with it and then you start thinking about now i'm going to stage it so i'm going to get a pressure rise out of the first stage but now i've got heat and like you said you you cool that so you cool it off a little bit then you put it through the next stage and you pressurize that again so now you're getting some double action and ideally you're cooling that one more time before it gets shoved into that motor so you're talking about some big boost yeah and it's a seven liter uh so it's Stock displacement is 6.6, 6, 403 inches. Oh, I'm an old guy. I, I, the magic number back in the 60s was 427. And uh, that's still my magic number. Uh, so I built a 427 Duramax uh, for this project. Uh, on the first fire, uh, we took it up to about 3,800 RPM, had a look and backed out of it, it made 740 horsepower and about a 1,020-some pound-feet of torque at 3,800. That's just coming off idle, so to speak. Uh, there's a world, I mean, that the air-fuel ratio on that run was like 28 to 1. We, right. we usually right. have a threshold, a smoke threshold or a smoke limit at about 18 to 1. Uh, Right. If your injectors are re really working righteously, I like to run smoke limited. I, I don't. I, I don't like to blow smoke. That's fuel that I injected and didn't use. So why, why inject it if you're not going to use it? All right, I got a. I got a couple of questions. We're gonna. We're gonna take a break real quick. Um, can you on the other side of this break? Can you tell us what you think this thing is gonna make? Huh. And then we got everybody's thinking about this in the commercial here. Yeah. What uh, what twin turbo five liter super setup with plenty of intercooling uh, on a warm up run made seven seventy horsepower on a diesel that's that's pretty strong but that's 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 nothing in Gale's world so maybe on the flip side you give us some predictions on that and then the other one uh, I want you to kind of explain because uh, people know what rolling coal is that's when a lot of diesel guys start blowing black smoke out the back. Um, and I love your comment about, you know, wasted fuel. So hang on to that. Explain a little bit more about uh, what your thoughts are on uh, air fuel ratio and rolling coal uh, when we come back from the break. How's that? All right. I'm all about that as well, man. I'm from eastern Kentucky. We dug coal. We didn't roll it. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, and I got to ask you about his era. We, we could talk for days about the history behind this man. Uh, but coming up after the break... We're talking what Banks is doing moving forward. They have some really incredible devices. Uh, if you're not aware of what the pedal monster is, it's lurking. It's behind, I don't know, your brake pedal somewhere. It's uh, it's just in the corner waiting for you to put it on. And wow, does it make an impact uh, into your ride? A few other things they're doing at Banks that uh, really is just unbelievable. So back after the break of the Two Guys Garage podcast with Kevin Bird and Willie B. It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. Appreciate your time. We have Gail Banks on our podcast today. The man behind so much in the world of hot rodding. Like, he's got tons of accolades. He's probably got more trophies 
uh, then everybody listening has got, got a hair on their head. And that's a lot. Let me tell you, uh, he's, he's just one of those guys that have had his hands and immersed in the world of hot rodding. And wow, have you changed the game, man. So thanks for the time. And uh, let's get back. So, Kevin, you were talking about uh, a, what, a 427 cubic inch, basically. What is it, 500 cubic inch you like working with, Gail? What's, what's your poison there? We were talking about our 427 uh, monster truck build. Uh, yeah. Our original goal was 1,350 horsepower and really, really crisp throttle response. Um, we, we already exercised this engine with a blower only. And we, we were knocking at the door of 700 horsepower just with the blower. Whipple has new technology, what they call Gen 5. The five liter Whipple we're running right now is, is going to be replaced. So I will be doing, a, I do a series called Engineering Unboxed on YouTube and Facebook. Oh, see it. And I like your graphics, man. You got good graphics for a little homemade video. Pretty impressive. <laughs> well, I'm giving those guys, I'm, I'm redecorating the <laughs> graphics office. Let me tell you, I'm taking care of those cats. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, anyhow, 1350, somewhere in there. What, what, where do I think it goes bang? Um, north of 2000 horsepower. Uh, I think the issue here is engine speed. It's cylinder firing per right. unit time that's the trouble on a diesel right you can make so much cylinder pressure that and that and peak cylinder pressure yep. you can make a and ton of it but you can't spin it fast enough the original design of the engine this is based on which is an lmm is about 150 bar peak cylinder pressure uh that's barometers so 150 times nominally 15 uh gives you the pressure in psi the L5P in Dyno 2 that I'm running just did 1,004 horsepower at 3,800, and, and uh, that one is 183 bar design. The L5P, if you're building Duramaxes, uh, fooling with the older stuff, show you how robust this thing is. No studs, no head gaskets, no pistons, none of that jive. This is a stock engine. I did a cam, uh, worked with Billy Godbold at Comp, went through three iterations. It's a cam to stuff into a stock L5P with stock pistons and no valve reliefs. Um, but we're 1,004 horsepower. I did improve the turbocharger. You know, I have improved the uh, cooling. I am go going to go to bigger piston cooling nozzles. But the thing has stock pistons in it, stock rods, everything. Uh, am I getting excited? Yeah. <laughs> Did my voice just kind of go up and sit? <laughs> so these stock diesels, right? You know, we think of the Cummins, the Duramax, the Ford. Uh, you know, from my experience, I think stock, they're kind of in the 160 to maybe 190 bar sure. design range, you know, from the today, factory. Yes, yeah, today. today. Maybe pushing um, upwards to 200 plus. Where are you taking them? Like, how far are you pushing, do you think? 260, 260 right now. Okay. Um, on the stock engine. And then RPM-wise, yeah. how far past the OE red line are you, are you eking these things? Yeah, the, over, the, the OE red line under power uh, is nominally 3,100. Uh, we're at 3,800. Uh, the cam we did, uh, 
uses stock valve spring, all the, all the valve gear stock. Uh, I want to build a production engine for hot rodding. In other words, a, a crate motor, a diesel crate motor, which uh, I want to put the cam in uh, at Duramax. So it has to meet all the assembly criteria. Um, we do a lot of that with our uh, military engines. There's a whole bunch of bank stuff, lower crankcase, uh, oil sump, flywheel housing, on and on and on, that I feed into Duramax and they assemble the bank's engines. Uh, and then they come out here to the coast and I put about, well, the wire looms, the intelligence, all the turbocharging, a bunch of stuff, 300 and some parts go on out here at our factory. And we 22 minute dyno test and they shipped to Oshkosh, Wisconsin for the JLTVs. Uh, Joint light tactical vehicle replaces the Humvee, uh, but I'm getting off. Well, you have so many tracks though. That's what's amazing. <laughs> you just listen to some of these stories. We need like six more uh, hours. No, 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 it's six more days. So yeah. six more weeks. Uh, <laughs> half, more than half the engineering staff here at Banks is double E, electrical engineers, compu computer science guys. And um, truth be known, my first automotive venture was a three-wheeled ele electrically propelled tractor that was pulse code uh, radio controlled. I, I did that in 1958 as well. Wait, wait, you did a RC car for a tractor? You made a tractor an RC car? A, parts, a pulse code. It controlled the steering. It controlled forward and reverse. It, it was powered by a, a World War II landing gear retracting motor, which is reversible and has an electric clutch. <laughs> and then I steered it with aileron trim motors. So I love you, man. So the answer I is love you, Gail. yes. Gail Banks has done everything. <laughs> he built the remote control track. <laughs> this is great. I, 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 I freely admit to anyone that I'm a freaking nerd. And you can be a mechanical, but I'm a, I'm a full-blooded nerd because it's not only mechanical, it's electrical. So I'm a goner, man. I'm just, yeah, man. it's serious. I thought I was bad. This guy is out. Wow. We've done a thing we call a pedal monster. It goes between the pedal and, and the ECU. The, this thing is so tricky, guys. So tricky. The foot feet. I mean the go pedal, the yeah. loud pedal. And I, I, I for years, I kept telling the guys, I don't want to screw with that. You just push the pedal down further and you get more. Until I got one of those black wing Cadillacs which is the all-wheel drive twin turbo 4.2. Oh, yeah, yeah. It comes out of the box. It's a CT6V, it's called. And it's quick. It's a mother. Uh, out of the box, it's, it's 550 horsepower, 10-speed automatic, all-wheel drive. It grips like a mother. Anyhow, I put a prototype of Pedal Monster in that thing, and it bumped my head against the headrest, <laughs> and I went, Oh, I like this. Yeah. This borders on sex. You know, I mean, this <laughs> right. is, in a way, it's safer than sex, though. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and you can do it constantly. <laughs> well, that's if you're a good driver. Now, for, for everybody out there, uh, you know, when you've got an electronic throttle, you need, you know, a pedal and some kind of controls to then, you know, whatever your motion of your pedal is, whatever you push your foot down, it's going to open the throttle in some ratio. 
So a lot of times the OEs put a really slow ratio. And that's a calibration. Yeah. So they put a slow ratio in there for the average person who doesn't want their car to get out from under them or whatever else. But for us performance guys, it leaves you a lot to to yearn for, right? And so yes. oh, yeah. with these yes. little interfaces right now, you can program your pedal and your throttle to act in any kind of relationship that you want. So all of a sudden you can get that instant bite, that instant sort of power and torque to the wheels. And man, does it make a difference as you're talking about in uh, driving your vehicle. The thing that troubled me, we've run what's on all our electronics. In fact, all our products, FMEA, failure mode effects analysis. Yep. It's a engineering term. Nerd speak. Uh, Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, since I'm the last guy on the market with what we call the pedal monster, uh, I decided to fingerprint everybody else. And I found that if they fail or lose voltage, you got no pedal. Yeah. I mean, it's not limp home. The pedal does nothing. I saw, I saw that in your video. And it, it, like I said, you guys have to watch and engage in his videos. He explains all of this where everybody else, and this is what's great, everybody else fails in all the points they fell at. He put all these safety features, all these, you know, real robust. If there is a problem, it goes back to factory to stock settings and all these safety components that are always talking to one another. And man, his pedal monster for anybody looking for a, a, a throttle booster is above and beyond anything out there on the market. And you could use it for so many applications. Sorry to interrupt, but I watched that video in amazement. I'm like, wow. Well, that's cool. The, uh, you, to your point, Willie. It's a universal automotive product. It's not a diesel product. Uh, I got guys now running them in Corvettes, running them in BMWs. I mean, all over the map. I have uh, a CTSV right behind me, just like you were talking to Cadillac. His super. Oh, you've right. seen I'm, one of them. Yeah, I know. I'm. I got, I'm going to put one on my car right behind me. This is a CT6V. They only only made 275 of the damn things, and then they shut down the plant. Whew. So I'm lucky to have one. And my daughter, who, who runs this place and, uh, from a business standpoint, she runs both companies. Banks Tech is our military engine company. I'm, I'm just the engineering guy. And uh, she got one, too. You guys have market share on those things, man. <laughs> well. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get too far, we got to nail down two things real quick. So on that 7-liter, that, that 427 yes. diesel, uh, it's got the yes. super, it's got the twin turbos, it's got massive intercooling, it's got a lot of other Gale Banks magic on it. Where do you think that one's going to end up for power? Well, my goal is 1350. Uh, we're spinning at 6,000 RPM, but I can, the, the speed limit uh, is piston mass is the first thing. You know, you're trying to pull the, the pin eye out of the piston at top dead center, you know, mm-hmm. and, reverse the direction there. Uh, so there's quite a bit of jerk that happens as you get the RPM up. Limiting speed on the valve gear will, will let me go to 6,500. But what I call the s- cylinder fill percentage, what's the density in the intake manifold compared to the density in the cylinder? Cylinder fill, fill is a percentage. You never get, get 100%. Well, you could have 100% cylinder fill. It's possible. I haven't seen it, especially with the back pressure of a couple of turbines out back, you know, the blowdown, getting the exhaust out of the cylinder. But with a super turbo, right now on that pole, 
where we were real lean. Uh, we had uh, 60, I think it was uh, 66, 67 pounds of manifold pressure and 42 pounds of turbine inlet pressure. So the Delta P engine, what I call the engine scavenge ratio, uh, was way favorable. I, I was sweeping everything, all the exhaust residuals, 100%. I was actually supercharging the exhaust manifold at that point. We have a new Gen 5 blower that I'm going to unbox tomorrow or maybe this afternoon from Whipple. It's a 3.8 liter, but they have changed the, man, that thing is so much more efficient and I can make more boost with it. In other words, pressure ratio with it uh, and keep the density up. Right, right. So I think my goal might be 2000 horsepower. Woo. Man, out of a diesel. Now, what, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that will tell you, uh, "Hey, my, I'm making more than that in my pickup truck." You know, and, uh, there's a lot of that opinion out there. And and the measure of success is, I can blot out the sun with my exhaust. <laughs> you can't. You know, you know, I turn day into night with my diesel truck. And all I got to say to those guys is there's a point of diminishing returns. Uh, if you have uh, minute some amounts of smoke, you're borderline rich. Uh, you, you're probably gaining a little power, but you're making an exhaust ga gas temperature that's going to kill the turbocharger engine and turbo if you sustain it. Right, right, right. So there's what I call temporary horsepower and permanent horsepower. The aftermarket lives in a world of temporary horsepower. I can do this for three to five seconds. You, you look at these dyno pulls, and it's kitty land. It's toy land. It's like, please, children, stop showing me that. <laughs> well, this is a guy who's delivering to the military, and the military's a little bit engaged farther than three or four or five seconds, right? So our test, our test is NATO. 400 hours, 85% of which is a wide open throttle, full load. Uh, and for the Navy, a double NATO, 800 hours of that. 800 hours. 10 hour cycles. So you go through 80 cold starts, 80 hot soaks. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm an endurance engine guy. I mean, Bonneville is the lowest level of, of endurance that, that you find. I've run boat races and we've won them. In New Zealand, eleven days long, every every river in New Zealand was covered in that event. So <laughs> we did world class marine endurance racing, river racing, uh, starting back in the seventies. We got, I think, sixteen world championships out of tw uh, twelve world championships out of sixteen years. Wow! I mean, our gasoline twin turbo marine engines just lived and made big numbers. So, so tell me real quick the difference, like, so when you're, uh, you're running a big, you know, gas engine boosted, uh, right, you start to build up a lot of heat, you throw a lot of fuel at it uh, for cooling and for knock relief, right? Um, when you do that with the diesel, right, everything's happening a little bit different because you're just, you're shoving in a lot of air and then you're kind of putting in as much fuel as you want to essentially, you know, make but, the power. But there, when you add fuel, you, it adds heat. It, uh, it doesn't subtract heat. You, you don't enri enrich. With a diesel, uh, you, uh, the leaner it is, the cooler it is. With gasoline, lean is hot. So it's completely turned around. Spark versus compression ignition. 
So most of the guys that are blowing big black smoke essentially are real hot EGTs? They're making really small briquettes. Every particle of smoke is a fuel particle that you, you cooked in the absence of oxygen, which is how you make a briquette. All of that is fuel energy that only added to the heat problem. You know, you've gone so rich uh, and it's so hot and you just keep adding fuel. Well, those guys smoke those engines commonly in a, in a short tractor pull or a truck pull. Um, so when I talk about horsepower, you got, you got to talk about horsepower that'll live 400 or 800 hours of wide, wide open throttle. I love that. Now you're talking. Oh, 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 oh man, that's, yeah. cause that's, yeah. that's living. <laughs> Most production engines will not do that. Oh no, no. Pickup truck. I don't care what you're doing. They won't do a NATO. No, no. And I love the fact that you call it NATO. Um, hey, question since you were, you have so many, you know, passes and seasons and knowledge as to, you know, just eras in hot rodding and times when, you know, you've seen huge evolutions in power making and, and what we're able to harness from, you know, with turbos and superchargers and, and the likes. What era for you, if you could live in one decade, what era for you would you love to relive and, you know, if you could live over and over, would you stick yourself in? Okay. We're talking about nostalgia versus now. A friend of mine, now deceased, Sid Mead, a futurist, a visual futurist, former designer for Ford Motor Co Company back in the 50s. I'm a futurist as well. So we became very good friends. And one day he told me, the future doesn't just occur one day. The future is comprised of everything that happened up to the word now. Because in his visual futures, you might see a 64 Lincoln suicide door, you know, president's death car uh, or something like that. And, and it finally hit me. The good old days are right now. A lot of guys stopped at some point, and they love that era. There's a lot of guys that I know with gray ponytails that, you know, they, they fit a certain era. Uh, there's a lot of younger guys who want to co-opt an era, a lot of hipsters. Uh, I've got dear friends who are hipster hot rodders, and I love their stuff. But I love, and they're a, at Bonneville, babe, they have discovered Bonneville about eight or 10 years ago. So, and I love seeing that stuff, but been there, done that, it's tomorrow. That's what I'm interested in. Where will we be tomorrow? What will we be hot rotting tomorrow and how will we do it? But what's the future gonna be? That's the age old question and is the IC engine dead? No, it's not. How, how do we, and, and what is the future fuel is the other question. And so. all of those things we're going to answer on the next Two Guys Garage podcast with Gail Banks. 
guaranteed to happen. So uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, man, don't forget about our show that airs weekends on the Motor Network. Check your local listings. Uh, thanks to our guest, uh, Gail Banks. What a wealth of knowledge. What a great resource that is and what an honor it is to have him on the podcast. Uh, from my man, Kevin Bird, I am Willie B., our producer, Scoop, and our executive producer, Bob Ecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com. Share your thoughts with us on social. We're everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Two Guys Garage. Two Guys Garage Podcast is a copyright 2020, Britain Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. Man, I feel like I feel like man. I need to be that guy's avatar. Like, just download your brain, man. Let me have some of that knowledge, because that is, it's unreal. <laughs> unreal. Oh, I'm not done with it. I'm not done with it. I don't think we even scratched the surface with him, man. We have definitely got to bring him back, because... Uh, it's too much fun. We could go, I was going to say hours. He said days. I think it's more like yes. weeks to extract out all the amazing stuff and the, and the history. Oh, man, what he's got going on. A lot of knobs have been turned in, in 62 years of doing this. So. Yeah, man. And I haven't forgotten any of it. I have not forgotten. Not yet. I have. So as long as, as long as it's interesting, let's do it again. All right, guys, we will see you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. And I bet it's going to be with Gail. Can't wait. Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and Britain Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.